Hey everyone here and welcome back to yet another episode of Alpha Metallica. If you're not familiar with the show, it is a never-ending journey, an odyssey uh, through the archives of the greatest metal band, in my opinion, of all time, Metallica. We're going through, we're putting the discography in alphabetical order, having a guest normally, spending 20 minutes, half an hour, you know, celebrating, denigrating, exploring, and just talking about Metallica. There's a lot of Metallica podcasts out there, and we're just another one in the mix, and today we are going through holier than now um just before we get to the song and today's guest please follow the show at metallica pod on twitter please get in touch with me if you want to come on the show metallica pod at gmail.com you want to give any feedback to any of the songs any of the episodes always welcome always love reading those out uh, leave us a review on itunes if you dig the show as well patreon is there every episode like this they go on there first you know often weeks maybe even a month or so before they go out there so yeah if you want to give back to the show you want to get premium pay-per-view access to alpha metallica uh go on there and thank you to everyone that has been doing it as well um yeah that's about it really subscribe as well on the youtube that sort of stuff i mentioned the email before the email is the normal way that I arrange guests. You know, when I started out the show, I was trying to get really fancy guests like Martin Popoff, which was great to have on, uh, you know, the Canadian music journalist, and had a lot of friends as well filling out. And as it's gone on, it's became this, um, you know, organically perpetual, perpetuating sort of thing where, you know, people get in touch, they want to they be on, and I've got pretty much next year booked out. But what's a nice thing to happen occasionally are recommendations when people that uh, I know get in touch with me and say, this guy uh, would be perfect for the show show so you know today is one of those occasions where uh, someone called Morris uh, Bazinski Bastinski he's got a weird t in his surname am I saying that right David around that around that I way it's Bastinski and I'm put, putting us both up on the altar to be headed if we get yeah. it wrong <laughs> yeah apologies Morris. <laughs> but don't call him Maurice I'll tell you that Maurice like <laughs> Steve Miller don't call him Maurice it looks like Maurice it's very deceptive to the common folk out there but it's pronounced Morris I, I, we'll get to our connection in a second but first of all of course David great to have you on the show thank you so much I'm severely stoked to be here we planned this out definitely in 2017 yeah. um, we were running down your list and when I got referred over to you I was instantly like have you got this song and I was really, really stoked about Holier Than Now for the reasons we'll get into. Um, but this, I'm a huge advocate of this song off the Black Album. Yeah. And um, knowing that it was available because you hadn't even gotten to the letter H's, I guess, at that point. <laughs> no, way um, before. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're like, oh, we're on B's right now, sir. So uh, you're, you're, we probably will not get to this till next year. And cer- certainly with you doing your math. That has been such the case in here next year had rolled around pretty fast. So that's how eager I was to, to just lock in dibs for this song. Mm, mm, um, yeah, yeah, it came, yeah. came around frighteningly fast. Actually, it was September that you got in touch, uh, 2017, and we're recording this episode in the dog days of August 2018. So yeah, <laughs> it has it has been a long build-up. And as I mentioned before, Morris, um, he's he, he's someone that I do consider a friend, actually. I've never actually met him. He lives on the other side of the world to me. Uh, he's an Australian podcaster, incredibly knowledgeable about music, an all-around great guy, great culture head, and aficionado. And essentially how me and him cross paths was, I've mentioned on the show several times, that my first podcast was called Down in the Hole, my good friend Sam Walls, where we went album by album uh, through the entire discography of Tom Waits, uh, you know, my all-time favorite singer, songwriter, musical artist. And when I was doing that, uh, I was looking for other Tom Waits podcast material. I found Morris's podcast, which is called Love That Album, which I believe we've both guested on a few times. We sure have. We did love that album. And, and I'll get into my origin story with how I met Morris. Um, we 
we went through a couple of albums. He, he had done a Joe Jackson one before, and we found a connection that we both enjoyed them. Because I, I will say that Morris is a bit snobbish about his uh, his 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 musical tastes. So I kind of was like, this is your show. This is what you're doing. Let's, let's find some common ground here. So we ended up doing Joe Jackson's I'm the man from 1979, which is his second release. It's a phenomenal album. So if Mm. anybody wants to, you love the sound of my sexy voice. Um, I'm Missouri native, by the way, I don't have a twang. I'm from the suburbs of St. Louis, Missouri, and I reside in San Francisco, California now. But, um, we did Joe Jackson's Love That Album, but we were running through artists, and uh, a big favorite of mine is Def Leppard. They're my favorite band, and Pyromania is like an epic album for me, and that's just not on his radar. Um, I thought, oh, we're, we're doing this out of Australia, so what about In Excess? And he's like, well, I always thought that Michael Hutchins was, you know, a faux Jim Morrison, and I'm like, <laughs> okay, all right, that's that's pretty heavy stuff. So just kind of put the ball in his court. And then because we, we had had a gap in – in longevity where we hadn't done a program together the last time I was on was last year and we did two albums so we discussed uh an independent group that had a one-shot deal called the grays they're american g-r-a-y-s hmm. it came out in the mid-90s around that time period where gin blossoms toe the wet sprocket collective soul that kind of sound was uh if you will an alternative to grunge which, you know, dominated the 90s. So we chose that album uh, from a list of five, and then I introduced Heatwave to him. Heatwave is a disco band from the late 70s, and we did their uh, first album, which has songs like Boogie Nights and Always and Forever on there. So we did a, a joint double album, Love That Album episode. So there are two that you can catch with the two of us, and then which are the ones that you had done with Morris? Yeah, so uh, Love That Album, I should say, is a podcast I want everyone to listen to. It's basically Morris and guests going through albums, you know, in depth. And the the panoply of genres that he covers is quite mouthwatering, really, as a fan of musical criticism. So, yeah, I I was lucky enough to go on there to do two albums. Actually, the Joe Jackson album uh, did Heaven and Hell, which is from 97. Very intriguing melding of classical rock and pop. It's kind of a musical interpretation and song cycle all about the seven deadly sins. Have you heard it? I have not heard it. Yeah, it's it's very different uh, to his earlier seventies material, definitely. Oh, totally. I, I picked up his greatest hits collection. It might have been just before he released that album. So, um, Jump and Jive was like probably I'd say the most fresh material I had heard from him. Yeah. Um, off the greatest hits collection, but no, it's now something that's on my bucket list. To, yeah, to yeah. I mean, I, at least listen to our episode, if nothing else. Uh, there's some musical clips in there, and we also did. Uh, you know, in my opinion, one of the greatest slices of Americana I've ever heard, uh, The Harrow and the Harvest by Gillian Welsh and Dave Rawlings. Uh, oh, wow. Unbelievable um, folk album. I know, Dave, I know that uh, Morris is a huge fan of Dave and Gillian as well. So, so yeah, basically Morris did an episode on Tom Waits and he interviewed Barney Hoskins, who's kind of like the Mick Wall of Tom Waits literature. He wrote the book on uh, Tom Waits called Low Side of the Road. So I was aware of this. I got in touch with him. He liked our podcast. You know, he, he definitely enjoyed our take. He's a big Waits fan himself. We became friends, um, you know, simpatico to a certain extent. You know, his, his musical knowledge I just find inspiring. I love talking to this guy and in a roundabout way we got put in touch I actually did ask Morris early on if he wanted to come on to the Metallica podcast but he sort of said in his own way it's not really his slice exactly so I'll parlay that into how Tom and I got connected for the listenership out here um is that I brought up how do you feel about Metallica let's do Master Puppets because that's that's my quintessential Metallica album for me 
Um, we'll get into my origin story here shortly, uh, how I got introduced to Metallica in a very roundabout way and where I grew up too, I think is also essential and can kind of speak for a lot of, lot of people. Um, which also makes me think of your fade to black episode with, with, with whomever was guested on that. But that was an enjoyable one to hear his backstory and how he's a bit older than myself. So for him to have gotten in on the early runs of Metallica and following them before they became, you know, this massive success in, in a, in a different way. Um, I, I had mentioned, how do you feel about doing master puppets thinking like there's no way he would go for this. And he said, yeah, that's not really in my wheelhouse, but I do know a guy and uh, he, ref- he, he mentioned you and that you were doing this show called Alpha Metallica. And I was, I was like, this is awesome. This is, you know, a match made in heaven right here because I'm a super massive early Metallica fan. Um, and I, I think it's great how they've evolved, but I've just loved their earlier stuff. And more recently than that, uh, from Death Mag- Magnetic forward, is they've gone back to their roots. And I'm really stoked about that um, w- with the addition of the stuff that they picked up along the way. You know, everything minus St. Anger. <laughs> right. Let's do all the stuff we picked up along the way, get back to our roots, and do everything other than the sound of what St. Anger ended up being. So, um, yeah, that's when we got in touch. Mm-hmm. And how I came to know Morris was I do a show um, with a great fella. His name is Ben Eisen, E-I-S-E-N, out of Silver Lake, which is the hipster community in Los Angeles. Okay. Um, it's It's got a negative connotation as far as I'm concerned with, with L.A., but he's like he and his wife are like the cool hipsters and a handful of other people that live in that beautiful community. But we do a show called All-Time Top Ten, which, which people can go to um, alltimetop10.com podomatic.com that's p-o-d is in denver o-m-a-t-i-c podomatic all-time top 10.podomatic.com and ben has been doing this for about five or six years now without fail every week he has a different special guest on and they count down the top 10 songs of pick a theme so for instance we're actually getting ready to record by the time the test airs it'll it i think it'll have it'll probably come out um we're getting ready to tape next weekend it's labor day weekend for us which is a, a nationally observed holiday in the mm. States. We're going to tape uh, the top 10 best, best cases of musical mistaken identity. So, for instance, if you are familiar with a song called Dance With Me, I Want To Be Your Partner, Can't You See? If that rings a bell to anyone listening out there, you might think that that might be Peter Cetera in Chicago singing that song. When in fact, it is not Peter Cetera's voice you're hearing and not Chicago, but a band called Orleans. Um, another instance, a song that you might be familiar with, Summer Breeze by Seals and Crofts. Mm-hmm. Um, ben thought that was actually Phil Collins singing that song when he was a kid. And if you listen to Summer Breeze, you can kind of pick up some nuances where you're like, oh, okay, I could see how an eight-year-old would think that that would be Phil Collins, even though I had always known it was Seals and Crofts. So basically, we're getting together, and we're counting, he's going to have a list of 10 songs in rank order from 10 to 1, and I have my list of songs from 10 to 1. And we unveil them line by line. And then if he has what's called a steal, like if I get to a song that's on my list before he does, that's on his list, he throws a tantrum on the air, and then he has to pick an alternative song, um, an alternate, actually. Uh, so it's called a steal. So it's funny, we banter, and then he plays snippets of the songs as we go along, and it's a countdown show. Um, and we've, we've done in past uh, episodes the top 10 best songs of 1979, Top 10 best songs that make you cry, 
um, top 10 best cheesy love songs. So it's very varietal. Yeah. Um, he's got like a morbid month. He's count, he counts down uh, counts down artists specifically. Top 10 whistling songs was one of them. Yes. Top 10 songs great, that great you know, incorporate whistling. Yeah. So he's very all over the place. Uh, his his tastes are is eclectic, just like Morris's. And uh, they're very fun shows. Uh, I've done about 20 episodes with him. And you can go, you can stream these for free. And the most recent ones you can actually download for free. And then you can go back and listen to any of the past episodes by going to mixcloud.com slash Ben Eisen. So there was a purpose for me spelling his name for you all out there. Uh, mixcloud.com slash Ben, E-I-S-C-N. And you can find all of the past episodes with David Daskal and Ben Eisen as we count down the top 10 best Yacht Rock songs and songs that are parenthetically titled. And I did an episode with another gal called, uh, recognizing Linda Ronstadt. Um, so he's got top 10 best David Bowie songs, Neil Diamond, uh, Billy Joel. They just did Metallica between him, yeah, two of his that. brothers, and a childhood friend. Um, that's a very exciting show because they only he only does 20 songs per show on average. So they all had to do their top five. And as you can imagine, if you're trying to pick your top best five Metallica songs and you're with other Metallica fans, you're going to run into some steals. So it's been a very, it was a very fun episode to listen to. And I'd highly recommend that for you and all the Metallica fans out there. So we got linked up, long story short, because Morris had found all-time top 10 through podcast searching. Um, he wanted to, you know, get his fix somehow by, by hearing other, you know, aficionados, music nerd psychos like us out there and came across the show. And I had always been told that he was a fan of mine for years he would specifically listen to our episodes and just rave that he was the biggest fan. He would message Ben and then he mentioned he had his own podcast called love that album out of Australia and that he wanted me on as a guest. And I just, I was very super busy. I was very involved in the entertainment industry in LA. I lived there for 13 years and was full-time acting and had two bands of my own, including an Eagles tribute band where I did all six voices of the oh. Eagles. We were called best of my love. That was really fun. Um, did you do take it to the limit? Like, one more time. Oh wow! That that final <laughs> vocal, that vo- final vocal line is exquisite. It is, and you know what? That was the make or break. I said, if I can't hit those notes and take it to the limit, I will not start this Eagles mm-hmm. tribute band. And that's uh, Ray Meisner, the first bass yes, player. Yes, it is. Yeah. And phew, somehow somebody was looking out for me, Tom, because I was able to hit those notes and have a really funny story about a hundred dollar tip we got for doing that song one time. I'll, I'll tell you uh, in an aside away from the show, but. Um, I finally got around to getting in touch with Morris, my biggest fan, um, which some people will probably argue against that. But, hey, I'm, I'm a fan of all my fans. So I thought it would you know, be nice to see what he was kind of getting involved with and you know, show my appreciation for his listenership. And then finding out what he was doing was pretty miraculous on its own merit. And very, very happy to have gotten involved to do Love That Album with him. And then, yeah, he patched us into us. So it's great. This like little community of... Yeah. Uh, you know, everyone doing each other's podcasts. So I'd love to get you in with Ben. Um, I'd love your, your radio voice. I'm sure your real life voice is, is just on par. So, uh, you know, if you come up with some themes and whatnots, I can present it to Ben. And when I see him next week and aside from, you know, doing the show here and we'll, we'll see if we can't get you guys doing something. Yeah, I like, that, I, like, I like that idea. And I mean, in a, in a roundabout way, uh, Metallica for you, David, how, how did it start? Yes. So for those uh, who think that I sound younger than I really am, thank you so much. Um, I'm born in 1979, um, and I grew up in 
the suburbs of St. Louis and pretty much every corner of the state of Missouri is like the Bible Belt. It really is the Bible Belt. So I grew up in a time period where Metallica, as it was for everyone in the States, was not getting radio FM airplay. Um, they just were taboo. They were devil-worshipping music. Hmm. If anyone uttered the word Metallica, then you were a Satanist. So there was no access to them unless you went out on your own and you grabbed a Metallica album. And I'm certain that there were people, there definitely had to have been older individuals in my community that went out, teenagers, young adults, you know, getting behind Kill 'Em All, and Ride the Lightning and Master of Puppets. But for those first three albums, they were not within access to someone such as myself. You know, you're, you're in kindergarten and Ride the Lightning has come out. You're not even aware that this music is accessible to you. So I'm watching MTV and I'm of the MTV generation when they actually played music videos. And you would never see a Metallica song. And my first introduction was actually in Justice for All. I have an older brother, Jason, who grabbed their CD. And one was being played on MTV and already having known of Metallica, just you didn't utter the word in my household because of the, you know, the connotations that people had that these were like devil worshiping, you know, Satanist band. Like they, you know, you, they would they would encourage kids to kill other kids or do destructive things or whatnot. So when one had hit MTV Radio Airplay and you got to see for the first time from my my eyes as like a like an eight-year-old kid that this video was epic they played the whole thing and they intercut you know the movie that they utilized to describe war and losing your eyesight and you know being incapacitated and just this anthemic song blew my mind i was like i was an instant fan of metallica once my ears and my eyes got introduced to them so my brother bought the album and when he he was a workaholic, so I would go into his room and I would steal his CDs and play them. And I heard the whole just the intro to Blackened come in, and mm. it was this progressive style of play that I could understand why it wasn't getting radio airplay. That these these riffs and these rhythms, these things that are foreign to my ears, mind you, I had not been introduced to classic rock properly at that time, so I didn't know about Rush. I didn't know uh, Tool had not come out yet. This is 87. Um, progressive sounds were foreign to my ears when you're addicted to commercial music. So uh, it's like, wow, it, it sounds off what he's doing, but it, he's on beat, like the drums and the Sky Lars. And like, this is, this is great. And this, this, is, this is metal. This is thrash. This is awesome. So I instantly became addicted. And our mother was in a in a club uh, called BMG in Columbia House, where you could order cassettes and CDs through the mail. And one day she was like, "If you guys want to take a look at this catalog and pick out a cassette between you and your brother, one of you gets to keep it, and the other person gets to pick it." So we both agreed on Master of Puppets because I thought, "Wow, this is the only way that it can get to the older Metallica music." And I was really worried because, you know, as everyone knows, the cover of Metallica has these grave sites with crosses and these strings and these puppet hands. And I'm like, oh, man, she's going to look at this and be like, no, you need to pick something else. And somehow she went with it. I didn't say anything. It came in the mail. I grabbed the cassette and then heard Battery and was blown away. And then Master of Puppets in even more, like, eight-minute piece. And I'm like, this is insane. This is their modus operandi um they just kill they murder and this was um 
this was probably about 1993 for me. I think I was in seventh grade, or yeah, somewhere somewhere in that neighborhood. So I'm being introduced to Master of Puppets very late in life, as far as anyone else is concerned. And these were the origins. Um, and the Black Album had come out, and you could tell that they had become commercial. And then still being an avid fan of MTV when they still played videos, and her Sandman was the first single released. You could tell that they figured out a way to tap into mainstream. And that video, along with Naughty by Nature's OPP, got a ton of airplay in 91. They were like the biggest songs of the year. And then the second release, The Unforgiven, from the Black Album, was a complete, as far as I was concerned, departure from anything they had ever done. So yeah, uh, you mentioned Holier Than Now beforehand, which is the shortest song on the album, and a really intriguing song, a song, a song that I love actually, I think is a fantastic number from them. I mean, the beginning really sets out the ordinance, does it? That sort of, you know, the jackhammer chug, um, Kirk with those those burbles, reminds me a bit of disposable heroes with those effects, that kind of yes. insidious sound. And I love the way that the riff builds quite slowly. Similar to Enter Salmon, you're hearing parts of the riff, and then it all comes together as it suddenly hits. Yes. Um, I really love the thunderous intro. It's 35 seconds long. And it was it's just a quick reminder to fans who felt like that they had sold out at that time um, that they don't forget their roots. They know where they come from. They know what you want. And that, for me, was the exciting standout part of the album. Um, Holier Than Now is like throwback Metallica. So I'm instantly in love with it and that it's relentless. And it doesn't, they don't give you five seconds of what you remembered about them. They let it draw out. So, yes, the intro is just epic to me. Yeah, yeah. And getting into the, the main riff, which forms the backbone of the song, it's it's Justice-esque with its repetition, with its sort of visceral monotony, but it's kind of stripped away some of the more complex time changes, those sort of affectations. It's more of an assault on the mainstream, isn't it, quite brazenly? Absolutely. Um, it's still not mainstream enough no. to get the radio airplay, per se, but they've they've harnessed the sound. It's, you know, it's 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 omnipresent throughout the entire album that they made it sound mainstream, but they've still incorporated their origins. Yeah, and the the riff is such an earworm. Really, it's so classic. It's so simple, but it's so brilliant. Yeah, and you know, I just feel like I want to hear you get into it, but I think you're a bit shy, so we'll just go. And it's relentless, yeah. Right. And it's the shortest song on the album. Uh, by three minutes and 47 three, seconds. Yeah, yeah. By four seconds shorter than The Struggle Within. But, you know, the whole Black album, I don't think anything actually goes past seven minutes. You know, most of them are kind of six and change. Uh, so, yeah, it is a really kind of upfront song. Um, I, I love in the verses as well. There's not really too much going on behind James. He's just kind of letting those chords ring out and then returning. Uh, lyrically, what are your thoughts on the track? You know, I'm I'm more music in into lyrics, but it's it's a great um, it's kind of like a nice f u where it's like it's a check yourself song. Hmm. Um, you know, to, you 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 walk around that you're holier than thou, and um, you are you're not. Um, just a clever wordplay um, that they've integrated with the lyrics is just a nice big. Uh, anthem to I'm calling you out you know you're no better than anybody else and at the same time I'm going to lead you into you know building up your ego and then cut it to you straight so very clever 
uh, interchange of words. Yeah, uh, and uh, I, for me, I, I do like the lyrics, and yeah, the sort of the the nature of the song as well. Anyone can get on board with that. It doesn't necessarily even have to come from some sort of theological perspective. It's anyone that has an ego, really, uh, is kind of addressing down. I just, I wish he said the shit rolls out your mouth, crap rolls out your mouth again. And and James, you know, has swore on tracks before. It just seems a little, I don't know, neutered to me. I don't really know why they made that choice. Right, a little bit forced. And I could yeah. probably go into saying that um, that's a great observation that you have, Tom. It's because I think they made a conscious decision to say, let's try to make a record that appeals to everyone. Yeah. Um, so that's a theme where you could definitely identify someone in your life, you, you, maybe even a handful of people, that you just you think that they're higher than where they really are, kind of bring, need to bring them back down a level. So it's a song that everyone can relate to, but I think they were trying to make that entire album radio friendly so that anything could come off the album and be played on FM radio. And it just went to show that, you know, with the other tracks that we haven't mentioned, Nothing Else Matters, Sad But True, um, in addition to Wherever I May Roam, they got a great deal of radio airplay. So I think that choice was made, done in part to be, uh, we want the, we want, 12 year olds to be able to listen to this and their parents to be okay with it yeah yeah completely it's a concession but you know a necessary one in that environment certainly and uh, the images as well uh, the brain being gelatin the whispers circling <laughs> around your head gossip burning on the tip of your tongue uh you know james uh-huh. is brilliantly aphoristic in these lyrics very concise but very to the point yes that's wonderful that you mentioned the word concise because uh because the song is short, they can accomplish what they do in a short, concise amount of time. This was just proof that they could do that. They could hit all the elements. Um, and I don't know if I'm getting ahead of myself. You can stop me. But I wanted to say that the break, the breakdown is very bright. Mm. Uh, you hear that commercial sound. You even get in two guitar solos within this time frame. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I love that bridge. And just building up. Again, I always see Black Album as kind of a post-justice sort of entity. I see so much of that framework that they established there, you know, coming through here as well. Uh, you know, and just little edges that Hetfield plays on notes. Reminds me a little bit of Damage Inc. as well. He's always doing things that are helping to reinforce the vocal melody. So when he says, like, you know, uh, judge not lest ye be judged off, he goes, yeah, like a na 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 like it's just a nice flourish at the end of the verse and the the chorus as well the holier than thou you know it's quite throwback i suppose like james is yes. embellishing his voice quite a lot he's letting loose and it just has this kind of um i don't know this kind of uh, approach to the sort of stadium aesthetic just something to belt out yes it's very anthemic mm-hmm. um which also gets me into the query of out of all the times that I've seen them, and granted they were later, well after this album had been out, what do you think the reasoning is behind it that they don't include it in their set list these days? Is it just because there are so many commercial singles that people would walk away from their shows thinking, oh, they didn't do this one? I mean, can you imagine if they never did Enter Sandman in a set? Yeah. Um, how many people would just go ape shit because they had reached, a, you know, they'd reached commercial mainstream and not just the rabid fans? No, I, I've thought about that myself, Lauren. It's something that often comes up when we go through these songs, like we did Hit the Lights last week. And again, that was similar to Holy Now. Hasn't been played that much. You'd imagine it'd be bolted on, at least for the Wherever I May Roam kind of tour, get it at least 100 plays there, and then we go through the years. But no, you're right. It's been played 83 times 
Um, wow. It was first played in Oakland, uh, October 12th, 91. And it was last played about four months ago. So they're doing it on the Hardwire Tour uh, in Munich, oh, Germany, uh, April 26th. Okay. So, you know, it is coming out. And uh, I don't know if you're aware, but um, I know at the time, Bob Rock, uh, the producer, wanted this to be the lead single. Get the front door shut out of here. Wow. <laughs> Which is like, come the on. Crazy. Yeah, yeah, come on, Bob. <laughs> I tell you what, though. I mean, if they had to go back and do everything all over again, I really honestly think they went the right way. Um, the fact that this wasn't released as a single that we can't pick it up on a 45 unless it was B-sided with something. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar if it was out on a 45? I don't. I, single. It, I'm not too familiar with that, I'm afraid, David. No, may have been. Don't be afraid. It's okay. <laughs> Somebody out there will know and will message so, someone you. Someone who is holier than now will know, yeah. Yes. <laughs> Um, but the fact that, uh, that it's placed very appropriately on the album, too, to also remind the fans, like, listen, we know who we are. We're just trying to do it better, you know, or trying to reach a, a greater stream of folk. Um, I love that it's placed third on the album. It was, yes, a very quick reminder to me with like, wow, this is so different. The Enter Sandman's very playing it safe. Um it's it's different than what they've done before, and they really harness that commercial sound with Bob Rock producing them. Um, it's great knowledge to uh, that's something I just learned right now through you is that uh, he wanted this to be the lead single, um, and I think it's also too because he wanted to slowly introduce this sound, this new sound from the album that was very polished, giving the fans what they wanted, and maybe like kind of pulling the wool over their eyes by unleashing the rest of the songs, which are unlike the quote-unquote old Metallica. Yeah, I'm just looking at it. You're right, it's a third track. God, it's nestled. So it's Enter Sandman, Sad But True, then Holier Than Now, then Unforgiven, then Whether I May Roam is the opening five. And then, and then into Don't Tread On Me as well. I mean, the whole album, the whole Black album is absolutely sensational. I just wanted to get your opinion on one of the people that we always refer to uh, in the podcast is the mighty Mick Wall. And his book, Enter Night, in my opinion, is the best uh, Metallica biography. And he says this about um, the more fresh-derived numbers on the Black album, like Holier Than Now and Struggle Within. Um, Bob Rock's influence meant that the band now sauntered into view where previously they had simply battered at the door until it splintered. Pedestrian fresh templates transformed by the imaginative sum of the production into something greater than their otherwise predictable individual parts. Do you agree Mm. with that? I agree with that. It's a very colorful description. Mm. Um, And it's also uh, not a cop-out to say that he used terminology that they sold out or that they're you know, really trying to reach mainstream public and get their uh, permission or the recognition that they have felt they've always deserved. Um, I think maybe that's why it's always his his biography too is very well beloved because he doesn't take that approach when it that would be the instant criticism from someone. Um, and I'm not a fan of critics anyway, Tom. Right. Critics are paid to criticize, um, just negative bollocks. But um, yeah, I think it's I think it's very well said. How do you how do you feel about that description? I do, I do. Yeah, I think they definitely kind of uh, took that template into an entirely new direction, uh, repurposed these ideas. Like I could hear something like holier than now 
in the hands of Fleming, Rasmussen, etc. But I think it would be a bit more gnarled, perhaps. It, it was... Uh, Metal or Your Podcast, the other big Metallica podcast, well, I say the other big one, the bigger one than me, have mentioned this before, that this era when the Black Album was coming out was the perfect storm, the sort of MTV, you know, the giant bands, the different... You know, despite grunge being prevalent then, I guess this was slightly before it exploded, 91, but Metallica was bigger than any sort of genre. But, yeah, I really do adore this song. I think it's, uh, you know, a delightful little slice of sort of proto thrash here. Um, any any thoughts mm-hmm. on the guitar solo for you, David Kirk? There. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, you you think you think you really got your fix with the very first one, and mm. then when you hear the second one, it's it's even more fulfilling. Um, did you have a favorite one over the other? Uh, probably the second one, yeah. Probably, probably the, yes. the the major one that's playing out towards the end. But but yeah, I, I agree. I think the little interludes that Kirk does they just serve the song well. They do. That's really surprising. Uh, the other song that this reminds me of, I love that you uh, find the connection between Damage Inc. and Disposable Heroes, which are my favorite album tracks. Mm. Well, I mean, they're, the whole album is an album track yeah. uh, off a of Master of Puppets. But Disposable Heroes is my favorite Metallica song of all time, period. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always loved Damage Incorporated. So I love that you find the linkage between that thrash that I love, just that, that nonstop. Uh, that that, that kind of hits my heart and my brain. Uh, for the most beloved style of their songs. So the other one off this album that I really like, you had mentioned The Struggle Within, I actually like Through the Never. Mm. Um, It's still that same kind of drive. Um, This relentless unletting of of just thrash. It's a bit milder for sure, but um, that's my other go-to non-single from the album behind holier than thou yeah these are my these are my go-to tracks yeah and it's a great shower song um <laughs> my girlfriend just heard it upon first listen a week ago when i was getting ready jotting some notes down for our show today um and she said quote unquote that was fun and she's not like a metal head oh, right. she, she's a 90s kid but more of the commercial stuff and, and indie rock um so if she thought that this song was fun then you know it must be good and these approaches uh, to accessibility that maybe subconsciously Metallica are doing, you see throughout the song. Uh, as, as someone who's listened to you know a lot of the back catalogue now, I'm seeing things that I don't you don't normally hear in early tracks. Or maybe here on Kill 'Em All, James singing like "Yeah, you" as Kirk gets the solo, and also mm-hmm. most notably after the solo, it all just comes down to the bass and drums. You know, which is a live thing, isn't it? I love hearing Jason playing that riff and, and the guitars coming back in. Yeah. Totally. Um, you knew that this was designed to be a mainstay in their set list. And, you know, not knowing what the future had in store for them or that the success of the singles that were all released were all very well received. I think also now that we've been talking about it, that, that this song got put on the back burner because it wasn't treated as a single. So, you know, if you're trying to do a comfortable blend of your repertoire, you don't want to be too heavy on an album per se. But now they're just at the point in their career where... You know, they're, they're, they've talked about calling it a day quite repeatedly, and they're just really squeezing out the sponge that everyone wants to hear the songs that they're familiar with, unfortunately, you know, outside of the fans. So I guess I'm just going to have to fly to Europe if I want to see Holier Than Now yeah. or jump on YouTube or something. Yeah. I think I think everyone everyone would go crazy, you know, if they heard this song. I think obviously everyone knows sure. this song, and uh, it's a beloved number. And I was watching a few of the live performances they did. I think they did it quite a bit on the St. Anger tour as well, the, the Madeleine Anger uh, with the World tour. Any um any closing thoughts on this track, David? 
Yeah, and I guess so because I didn't want to completely overlook your reference of the bass and drums coming mm. towards the trailer in the song, but the from Newstead <laughs> that you really love. It's great to hear him on this album because if you do go back and hear Injustice for All, you realize that the bass has been brought down in the mix. Yeah. So, um, and you can't identify it at all. And, and this is kind of sweet justice for him to showcase that, look, this guy has abilities and he's not just in the band as like a replacement for Cliff Burton. And it's, you know, nice to hear him have his moment in the song. Um, but again, just, um, yeah, the song's a big deal to me because I won't, I wouldn't say that it's underrated if you're, especially if you're a Metallica fan, but it's just, it's very distinct from anything else off the black album that says hey listen we know who we are we haven't forgotten you and we can still bring it out yeah yeah for certain and uh, please let us know in the comments uh, via email you know what you think about holier than now uh, your feedback on that is always welcome at metallica pod as well um we'll close up with a few quick fire questions uh david your your favorite member of the band my favorite member of the band would definitely be James Hetfield. Of course. <laughs> Most people say that, but yeah. Oh, do they? I. It's just because of his attitude. Yeah. Um, you see be. that he's the most vocal and, and not shy. And because he's gifted with the rhythm guitar, can play something beyond basic notes and still sing at the same time. So it's not, you know, there's an explanation behind that. There's... This this colossal, um, it collective nature about him that he's just not there serving as, yeah, I'm the rhythm holding it down, you know, just holding down the beat and singing at the same time. He can he can carry to a certain degree what Kirk Hammett could pull out. What about your favorite song of the band? My favorite song of the band mm -hmm. is definitely Disposable Heroes, yeah. and um, more recently than not, um, nothing will trump Disposable Heroes. But I really, really, really spit out the bone mm. yeah crazy incredible song incredible song and the shortest straw too is my favorite yeah uh, shortest straw is so good oh my god love the shortest straw yeah uh favorite album i guess we sort of discussed this but what is your favorite album of theirs my favorite album is master of puppets uh because it was so it introduced me to progressive style of playing and the fact that they could have a banjo in a song and then and thrash out um it, it absolutely uh, was a defining album in my childhood changed my life and uh, final um question if you were to do a podcast like alpha metallica what, what's a band that you could do them on what would you enjoy to do could i pick a solo artist yeah sure <laughs> i would actually do a straight podcast a discography of billy joel wow okay that's a good mm -hmm. one yeah that, that, I, i'm not too familiar with the man but i know that obviously he's a genius and that would be cool yes uh he's very he basically, um, just like any good artist, would, would pick up on the references in the times uh, in which you live in. Uh, he's very much uh, a cognizant pol pol political stuff and be able to transfer that into mainstream music. And he had so many different enjoyments and there's so many influences that you get different material from him that he's not a one-note guy. He just doesn't really have a particular sound. It's his voice that's, that's constant throughout all of his material. But he, as he's evolved... His sound has always been different. So he's a very eclectic, uh, massive blend of material. And um, I guess finally, how do people get at you? I mean, you've um, you got an IMDb page, right? I was just perusing it just now. It's very cool. Thank you so much. I do have an IMDb page. Uh, I did full-time act for 13 years. So 
people subscribe to uh, Netflix or if you're watching back episodes of The Office, I'm in an episode called Business School. Cool. And then the first season of uh, Silicon Valley, uh, that was an HBO show. Uh, delightful program. Yeah, I'm I love on that the show. Uh, fifth. Okay, so I'm in the fifth episode. I'm, I'm an IT guy. Um, when the, the Hooli chat's not working in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, uh, the villain calls in for an IT guy to fix it, and I'm supposed to know how to do my job, and I'll leave it at that. You're, um, in, you're in Drake and Josh as a delivery man. I am. Uh, it was <laughs> an episode crazy. of Drake and Josh before uh, Drake got into Drake Bell got into his car accident and his face redone. Um, but they were both pleasant kids. They were very respectful, um, yeah. very humble. And it was uh, an incredible experience to work on a Nickelodeon yeah. program and very, very fun show. So, yeah, if, uh, that's out on DVD and people can pick up Drake and Josh. But, yeah, I'm very fortunate to have had a colorful career. I've done basically one of everything. Um, for all you gamers out there, there's a game called Saints Row, mm-hmm. which is kind of like the answer to Grand Theft Auto. And it's spawned off several sequels. But I, I do I do about 75% of the male voice voices that call in to the radio stations there so i do a jamaican accent i do a southern accent um you can't you probably can't tell that it's me because i'm i'm shifting between accents but i do the accents of the caller radio station callers on while you're driving around destroying the community (laughs) in saints row and then i just started this the other day too it's something i kind of forget about oh if uh i did a i did a uh, comedic dark comedy show for youtube called issues uh, a number of years ago and people can find that at youtube.com slash issues 2012 and there's 21 episodes there we did a full season uh it's very quirky and then if anyone's a fan of independent music there's a, a gal she goes by the name of a fine frenzy and i'm i'm uh i'm in her music video blow away uh, that's a cute little cute little music video so that's something there so there's some colorful stuff yeah. i'm currently um, not active with music right now and enjoying a normal life but if people want to hear more of, of what i'm doing they can definitely go to all-time top 10 and uh, uh check out episodes there and again mixcloud.com slash ben eisen and just peruse through there and he lists all the guests that are on the shows with them so you can easily find out uh episodes we've done together but i just want to thank you so much for having me on again of this course. has been really enjoyable. Um, I was wondering how on earth we could talk about a song for 20-odd minutes, but it looks like we were able to do it. <laughs> and I've uh, really recently enjoyed yeah, the episode of uh, Hero of the Day. I oh, heard, yes. too, just to kind of see how you've come along with this. And just a wonderful format. And uh, the fella from the BBC, and it was great to hear his Jamie, story. Yeah, he was great, yeah. Yeah, so it was really cool because, as, as a lot of us know, Load is not a very favorable album. Sure. Um, and Ain't My Bitch is my favorite off of that one. And the other one I thought was really solid was Hero of the Day. So that was really fun to listen to. Thank you again, David. And, you know, again, thank you to everyone for listening. Please comment below with your thoughts on songs. Get in touch with MetallicaPod at gmail.com. We've got lots of cool episodes coming up in the future. What do we have? We've got The House That Jack Built Next. Uh, then I Disappear. And then a bit of Lulu. It's been a while. Uh, but we're doing Iced Honey. Then into Invisible Kid. It's Electric. We've got some great songs in next month or so. Uh, we'll put the links down below for all the podcasts and stuff that we mentioned that David has been on. But, uh, yeah, this has been a treat. Thank you again, sir. You're very welcome. Likewise. Hope to do it again in 2019. All right. <laughs>